Hi, welcome again to Myth Magic Medicine with me, Denise Villamahia. Two immigrant doctors talking is very happy to welcome back Tatiana Resnick from Uzbekistan. She's talked to you before a little bit about her life in California, but now she's going to talk to us about where she came from and, and how the journey was. Hi, Tatiana. Thank you so much for joining me again. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be on your podcast. <laughs> So you were a little girl in Uzbekistan. What can you tell us about it? Because I bet most people listening don't know exactly where it is or very much about the country. Uzbekistan, it's a beautiful little country in the Central Asia. It used to be part of former Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And now it is an independent country. It is relatively small in size, about California size. Oh, and must be very comfortable there. <laughs> so... Yeah. You, did you know you were going to be a doctor when you were growing up? Not really. I wanted to be all sorts of things when I was a child, starting from desire to be an astronaut and opera singer and everything in between. Mm -hmm. But then when I was 12, it's when I decided I'm going to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so what, what inspired you to do that? Well, um, it happened that my mom died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was five years old. So my grandmother was like a mom for me. She played a major part in my life. And uh, I grew up with my father and with her. And when I was 12, she suddenly became very sick and uh we did not know what's going on with her. And I was desperate to find some way to help her. And we had a family friend who allowed me access to her. She was a physician and she had a library of medical books at home. She had a ton of books. So she allowed me access uh, basically to her books. Mm -hmm. And my father had at home only one book, which was similar to Manual of Medical Therapeutics here in the US. So like internal medicine book. Mm -hmm. So I read it and read it and read it. I didn't understand anything because of terminology, you know, late mm -hmm. words, making it hard to understand, especially for a child. But I was so desperate to find a solution to help my grandma that I kept reading it. But when family friend allowed me access to her books and I suddenly found the old medical dictionary. Mm -hmm. She probably had it since her student days. It was really old, but I read it. I literally read it cover to cover, I read every word. And then I realized, oh, I understand now. I I understood what I read from this mm -hmm. internal medicine book. Suddenly everything became so clear. I read it again and now it was all clear. Unfortunately, I couldn't help my grandma at the time. But later, you know, next year and year after, because this knowledge stayed, like you couldn't get it out after it already got in. Mm -hmm. I basically memorized the entire book accidentally because I was reading it so much, trying to find the solution. And then when somebody in the family would become sick and complains of some symptoms, like, for example, aunt saying, oh, like I have fever and my back hurts so much and 
I go to bathroom multiple times, uh, like, oh, and you probably have pelonephritis, you need to go to doctor and you need to get this antibiotic at this well, dose. I'm, I'm glad so you weren't trying to treat them yourself. You were just telling them when they needed to see a doctor. <laughs> yes, but, you know, like, I would give them basically a diagnosis and I would mm -hmm. tell them what prescriptions they need for. And they're like, what? Child giving medical advice? What's that? You know, like, 13 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so initially, everybody was like, what's she saying? But then she would go to doctor and will get the same diagnosis and prescription for what I told her for. And mm -hmm. it was happening over and over again. So eventually, everyone, like family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, started coming, you know, with medical questions. And it kind of happened. I realized it's what I want to do. I can help so many people potentially. But mm -hmm. I want to have actual knowledge. I want to have, you know, yes, that's it's a good knowledge. idea. Don't don't just start practicing medicine from a book. Please go to yes. medical school. So, how how did what was the the track? You see, so you're twelve when you realize that's what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. What yes. were the initial steps in order to go to medical school there? What's what do they yeah. prefer in Uzbekistan? Uh, in order to get to medical school, it is often encouraged that you prove in some way that you are serious about being in medicine, mm -hmm. that you're not going to quit in a few years. So they like to accept and give you extra points on acceptance, you know, at the time of acceptance of medical school. If you are a nurse or if you worked as a nursing assistant or if you did something like that. Related. So you're already related in some way to mm -hmm. medical practice. Yes. Were, so if somebody was from a medical family, did they have more chance of being accepted to the school? No? No. It had no. to be their own particular proof. It needs to be your own experience, yes. Yeah, like, that's very or good. being in yours or working in a hospital in some capacities that you actually seen what medicine is that you're serious about it. So, so how did you prove it to them? That you were serious. So, so I did both. I started working in a hospital as a nursing assistant, and I went to nursing school to become a RN. And in my country, we have this wonderful opportunity when instead of high school, you can do a combined program. So high school is two years, and RN program is two years. But when you do combined program, it's more intense. Mm -hmm. But you do three years total, and you have all high school subjects plus all nursing school subjects. So okay. in three years, you graduate with RN diploma. So, so you, that meant you graduated around age of 20? Because normally you would finish 18, or was it younger? 19. 19. 19. Okay, so you came out of fully branded RN at 19. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and did you practice nursing? Yes, I did. Um, I didn't start right away because I uh, got into medical school and mm -hmm. medical school is six years in my country. So first uh, I was just studying, but then on the year three, I started uh, working in a hospital as a nurse in emergency department. It was okay. night shift, so I was able to combine. But you already have been accepted to medical school. So what were you proving? I, were you just paying the rent and, and doing all the other things that you need and getting yes. some more experience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did yes. you did you find that hard as you were already learning how to be a doctor? Because they aren't the same jobs. 
what did, how how did you feel when you were oh yes wrong hat yes i'm a nurse today <laughs> no i actually found it really helpful because i was able to see in real life what's going on and what doctors do and i was able to learn from them to watch them i found it really really helpful Good. I was doing night shifts like every third night, so I was able to see all sort of things. And so you were doing that through term time. You were you were going to classes in the day and then working the night shift. You yes. slept like the early part of the evening and then you went to work. Yeah, night shift. It's it's like sixteen hour shifts. It usually starts around, I believe it was four p.m. Um, mm-hmm. And I would be done with school, so I would go directly there and work. And then next two days I'm off, so I can sleep more after. Oh, okay. When did you do your homework for medical school? Uh, I would do it. Uh, I I try to plan it. So on those two days when I'm off, I would try to do majority, prepare for exams, and to do a main part of work. But this is a part which cannot be done in advance. I would do at night when my patients are sleeping. I usually would have at least a couple of hours when I can focus. Okay. And I think the, the subtext is this, is if Tatiana says she's going to do something, don't stand in the way she's coming through. Okay. <laughs> when when you graduated from medical school, I mean, assume medical school may take a year or two difference, but the basic plan is the same for standard medicine allopathic or or osteopathic so when when did you graduate when you graduated did you go into a residency right away or so I went to residency in my country we have to uh, uh, it, the system is a little bit different from the u.s a medical school is six years but last year it is what we call subordinatura it's like um, sub-internship or like transitional mm-hmm. year we do rotations in various areas like covering everything yeah uh, in this last year but we're not doctors yet we don't have like full diploma mm-hmm. in fact we don't get actual diploma until we're done with residency we get a paper but i mean we get diploma but not like ability to actually use it right <laughs> that, yeah. that's called a license i think okay so you yeah. how long how long was your residency Residency was two years, and it was uh, what we call clinical coordinatura. We have two options after you graduate. One option is internship, like uh, internatura. Internship, mm-hmm. it's one year. Or another option is what I did, it's two years, clinical coordinatura. Okay, so you like medical school finishes, you did two years, and what were you at the end of that two years when they finally let you work? as a doctor? Uh, yes, uh, uh, I did specialization in cardiology. So mm-hmm. after graduation, I started working as a cardiologist in a hospital and later on in a private practice. How long did you work? In uh, for two and a half years prior to immigration to the US. Okay. I just, this is, I'm going to dial it back a little bit, but it's still in this area. Uh, because I was going to be chatting with you again specifically about your experience in Uzbekistan, I looked up and was surprised that there are quite a lot of languages in Uzbekistan. <laughs> where oh, yeah. it, it does it depend on where in the country? So, so ever everybody would speak Russian because they most people were born under Russian rule, um, mm-hmm. and Uzbek is the is the standard country. But I think there are several other languages. Do you have to switch them with your patients or? 
it, it does just depend on where in the country you are. Yeah, I lived in Tashkent, which is capital. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's a little bit um, it depends on what part of country. So main language in Uzbekistan is Uzbek language, mm -hmm. and Russian is a second language. Mm -hmm. So it's like in California, English is main language and Spanish mm -hmm. could be spoken right. in various parts of a state. So uh, Uzbek was main language by the time when I was immigrating. But when I was a child, because it was Soviet Union, Russian was most common language. Mm -hmm. So my education was in Russian. Yes. Okay. When did you start learning English? English, I started learning it back home, but unfortunately, it was not exactly... It's, hard, <laughs> I, it's I, harder when you're not everybody speaking. Once you got here, I'm sure it was hugely yeah. different. So when did you decide that you were going to move out of that country and move somewhere else? Did you, did you know you were going to go to the US? Did you think about my hometown in the UK? Did you think about going to other parts of Europe? Uh, I actually didn't want to immigrate, but at that time, it was over 20 years ago, mm -hmm. situation in my country became not very safe and we had no choice. So we immigrated and choice of US was simply because I had family here ah, and okay. not anywhere else. So it was simple. Was your family in California? Yes. So you went straight to California? Okay, and then did a detour because I know that part of the story. All right, so finish telling us about Uzbekistan. <laughs> what is there anything in particular you'd like people to know about the country? Because most of us don't know that much. <laughs> yeah, Uzbekistan, it's a beautiful country. It's nice and green and people are friendly. And I love it and miss it. And um... <laughs> is all, Do you have family still there or did everybody move? Um, no family there. Okay. And food right. is the best. Of course. <laughs> the food we grow up with is always the best food. <laughs> what is the national dish when we're all on the subject? Is there a particular thing well, that you miss? Uh, uh, Plov is most common, like on Uzbek weddings, on, uh, on well, any holidays, really. Plov. I'm, I'm, plov. What is Plov? <laughs> plov, uh, it's like... A dish made from rice and um, meat. I don't eat meat, but it usually has meat mm -hmm. and it has carrots and various additions. Like sometimes people add green peas, sometimes people add uh, raisins. So is that that sounds like polao? Is it is it a rice dish with everything's in one dish? Mm -hmm. so you 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 cook the rice and then you steam everything. It's it's so many various right. types yeah. of cloth, like many, many types. And it's uh, it's uh, very common. It's probably the most common one. Okay. Samsa mm -hmm. also, people probably know Samsa. It's like triangular <laughs> uh, pastry. Uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Let's let's leave Uzbekistan. Maybe we'll come back later, but let's leave it for now. So you, you decided to emigrate. And how, how many people emigrated with you so that your family realized they needed to move? Yes, uh, two more people. We came, three of us came together. Mm -hmm. And 
you went straight did you stay with family in California or did you just you know uh, no find a hotel to stay <laughs> Yeah. No, family helped us say rented apartment for us. So when ah, they came, we stayed yeah. in That's good. How much um how much time did you have for planning? Was it like, okay, we're going, oh, we're getting on a plane next month, or did you have six months to plan everything out? Uh from a moment we got visa and until the moment we actually landed from a plane in california was about 10 months okay so good time so your family was able to look around and find you a nice apartment and you were able yes. to move good good so what did you do apart from you know try and figure out how american electrical system is and what's on the tv what what else did you need to learn initially when you arrived how much English had you managed to uh, learn? I spoke very little English. I couldn't really understand anything at all when people, even I tried to study it before, but apparently it's not the same. So <laughs> when I came, I could not speak almost anything and I could not understand anything. I, I could say like hi, bye and basic words, but not much. Yeah, but you you could read English? Um. I could read some of it, but when, even like six months later, when I was trying to study to prepare for board exams, mm -hmm. each sentence, half of sentence would be new words for me. Mm. How long so did it take you to study for those exams? Did you start studying pretty much as soon as you got settled? Uh, I know probably like, three, four months later, because oh, yeah. I try to study at least basics of English. Yes. To get yeah, that's, that's essentially when you got here, you started studying. I mean, people mm -hmm. are going to have different things they needed to learn. So so you started studying for the exams. You hadn't taken any of them. There's everybody, I'm sure, listening to this knows there's three big exams before you can really practice, uh, although one of them has gone away. I don't think they brought clinical skills back. Um, so you took them all in California? I, I took all of them in California, yes. At the time, it were five exams, starting with TOEFL, which oh, yes. was... I forgot that. That's a prove you can speak English exam. Yes. yes. Okay. And then three USMLE exams and uh, additionally one clinical skills exam, which okay. also no so, longer... So you, had, you even had three done before you started residency? You've got that I, I had all of them done before residency. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Did you find it difficult to go? You'd already been a practicing cardiologist. How hard was it to go back and remember the nitty gritty preclinical stuff? Oh, it was very difficult because mm. first of all, it was in a different language. And second, it's been several years. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. You practice cardiology and you know do you remember foot what does the foot look like yeah there's a lot of a lot of minutiae in it so okay so you got rid of the exams that probably took you a while how long did it take you to get through do you think uh it took me total of four years but first year was almost completely consumed by studying english of course and in between i also had my daughter and spent time with you so uh, part of this time was you know raising yeah. a baby uh, but total took four years until I got into residency okay and did you 
did you apply to a lot of different places or did you know where you wanted to go? I applied right. a lot, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it wasn't going to be a problem. You you would be able to go wherever it took you, you would go. I would go any place, yes. Okay. So where I did was you... determined to get in, so I would go. Yeah. yeah. You have a you have a residency program? Would you like to teach me? What specialty did you want? Because cardiology is a subspecialty, really, yeah. Yeah, I went to internal medicine, so I got into internal medicine, and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, where where did you go? Uh, University of Nevada, Reno. Okay, did you find it very different from California? It must have been quite different from Uzbekistan. <laughs> uh, from Uzbekistan, yes. From California, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, from Uzbekistan, different, but it was a great residency. I'm really grateful for everything there. They had great attendance. But yes, uh, medical system in the US, definitely quite different. So what did you really like about, other than thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me a, med a residency spot, because I think most of us feel like that initially. Um, <laughs> did Did you find it? difficult to think like an American resident or had 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 a lot of the American gotten into you from the exams because you have to learn all the medications are called like something different or yeah the, even anatomy is usually different if you're in a different language base so <laughs> yes, no, different anatomy is different names yeah <laughs> uh, yes couple of things were different but um Prior to residency, I was actually doing observership for two years because Excellent. I'm a cardiologist, so I would follow him in the hospital everywhere. And not every day, of course, but yeah. quite frequently. So I was able to observe how American hospital works and uh, what's the difference. And yes, initially, there was a little bit of a shock, surprise, like mm -hmm. by how different things are in a good way and in a bad way everything <laughs> what do you think was the biggest difference to you what struck you the most the biggest difference was definitely cost cost of medical okay. care and disconnect I, I would say there were three big differences but main one was how insanely expensive everything is. Mm -hmm. And that even with insurance, people still has have enormous medical bills and mm -hmm. that many people end up actually becoming bankrupt from medical bills in a rich, a beautiful country mm -hmm. while having insurance. This yeah. was completely shocking for me because in my home country, we do not have medical insurance. So it was a new concept that insurance... You, you mean it was uh, it was nationalized so that everybody got the same treatment? Okay. Uh, there are two options in Uzbekistan, maybe more here, but at the time when I used to work there, we had two options. One option is nationalized when everything is free, but not everything is available. I mean, little mm -hmm. is available. But second option is private, and I worked in both. So in private practice, in private hospitals, uh, usually people have more resources because oh, it's like different way. So, so they have medications, they have access to more equipment, but it's expensive. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. it's not free. But free part in Uzbekistan, there is a beautiful hospital, highly trained, dedicated, excellent doctors, and almost no medications. So mm -hmm. hospital pharmacy is frequently lacking even basic medications. And it was not unusual when patients get admitted to a hospital, usually patients' family waiting, and after seeing a patient, they will come back to family and tell them, please bring three ampules of Lasix, three ampules, three vials of potassium. So even really, really basic things. And, yes, absolutely yeah. everything. Because at the time when I was working there, it was very common for hospital pharmacy to have almost nothing. So people will go to outside pharmacy and buy. Uh, it's it was possible to buy two ampules, three ampules. It doesn't need to buy entire pack. So mm -hmm. they would bring what exactly the patient needs, and every day I would tell them, now we need one more ampule of Lasix, or we need albuterol, please. And they so, would quickly go to pharmacy, come back two hours later with medications. Having worked in emergency medicine in this country, I can't imagine having to wait even, I mean, just get the pixels open. <laughs> Give me the things I need. It, it must have been yes. terrifying on occasion. Yes, oh. yes. Uh, unfortunately, it was a big problem at that time. I hope it's better now. It's been 20 years ago. Yeah. But at the time, lack of medications was huge in regular hospitals. Uh, so for me, it was really wonderful to see that medications actually available here. It was the second thing, which was different. Then, then you looked at how much they were being charged for said medications and were amazed. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's expensive, but at least it's available. You yeah. know, at least you can have patients actually receive what they need right now, like mm -hmm. in the next five minutes, next tomorrow. Need yeah. tomorrow. yeah, right. Well, the pharmacies at least open all the time in Uzbekistan? Okay, because yeah. otherwise it could be, you know, we open at nine. No, that wouldn't work. Okay, yes, so... Yes, Open. So, so the, the cost of medicine was the, the first big shock for you. What was the second thing that surprised you? Second thing which surprised me was that people here frequently, despite having access to healthy food, sometimes and quite often eat not healthy food. And it actually what fueled my desire to study and later on become board certified in lifestyle medicine and to focus on lifestyle and how lifestyle can affect people's health. Uh, it was surprising for me that food is not a problem, food is available, but sometimes and quite frequently people still choose yeah, the type even, of food even when they can even when they can afford a better quality of food they, they, yeah there's of course this there's a, a lot of people that they can't afford it but um one of the things i think that's sort of part of that is there's still this idea that i have a medical problem give me a pill i don't mm -hmm. have you know and and i don't mean i don't really mean that in a judgmental way because people have been trained this way by the system by society to assume that there's a fix and not only that, but an easy fix for everything. And yeah, there is, but you have to start it 20 years before you get sick, you know, be healthy all of your life for whenever, whatever gene kicks in, <laughs> causes you problems. 
Aang. Yes. Yes, uh, this was really surprising for me, especially when we all know how many illnesses can happen, for mm -hmm. example, from extra weight, from eating junk food. Uh, it's easily preventable. So it was a surprise for me. What was the third thing? Third thing was, um, and it was not really surprising. I kind of expected it, but it was really awesome to see that everything is available. Oh, okay. So, yes. so carry on from, from type one. What yes. what actually led to me asking immigrant doctors to chat to me was you and I were speaking in a meeting somewhere, and I asked you what it was like, and you told me that in your home country, you couldn't give patients bad news. It was consistent. Yes. That, that I think is fascinating because here everything has to be, oh, people get their results before their doctor, doctors do. I think. Um, <laughs> and and um, so did you, did you, when you had bad news, obviously you tell somebody, did you tell the family members and they decided whether to tell the patient? Yes, exactly. Okay. This is also quite different. Yes. Uh, back in my home country, at least at that time when I was trained, we had this paradigm that patients recover faster when they're happy. Mm -hmm. When patient is sad, patient will be stressed out and will not recover and will not survive that well. And it's actually true. There oh, yes. About and, and I think you won't have much argument from the mainstream medical practice here. It's just somehow we're going to tell you bad news, but you're not allowed to get depressed from it. You know, it's it's obviously a, we need to be able to put more support for people when they have that kind of news. Yes, yes. We, when I was in training and when I was practicing in Uzbekistan, we were not supposed to tell patients ever bad news in a direct way. Uh, saying somebody, you have cancer, you have two months to live, it's malpractice. It's absolutely not. I, I, it would probably soften it a little bit here too, but yeah. yes, <laughs> we could say we found found a tumor and we're going to give you some medications to help to shrink it, this medication called chemotherapy, and we're also going to do radiation therapy to help shrink it because we cannot reject it. Okay. So now, we will not say directly, we would say it more soft way, but we would say to family, uh, every patient identifies next of kin and trust the decision maker, and this decision maker will be appoint uh, uh, a person who we will tell honestly and directly what exactly going on, and then it is this person's choice when and how and if to break the news to actual patient, because this person knows the patient better than we know, and we'll know how to present it in the softest possible way, and knows if it should be presented at all. Because sometimes it will not be even, sometimes news will not be given. Yeah, I but I imagine that would be hard for informed consent. Because you usually are going to say, you know, you could have radiation, you could have chemo, you could have both, or we can wait and see what's happening in six months. I mean, I'm not an oncologist. There's probably a lot of other things I would suggest, but but it, that's a lot of burden on the person who's sick. I mean, just the insurance firms are an issue, but they have to have some degree of autonomy. 
this you've taken form consent, but the way how information presented, it's in a more positive way. Like for example, we need to do the surgery because it will save your life. Yes. Like you have a hole in your stomach and the content got how, out. How how do attorneys in Uzbekistan feel about this? Because <laughs> oh, here the concern is if you don't tell everybody, you can't say you are going to get better, but mm -hmm. You know, most people get better with this. <laughs> you know, Uzbekistan, it's not a litigious country. Uh, so it is not as common. It's another thing which was different in the yeah. US. Uh, in Uzbekistan, it's not as common to sue doctors for no reason. It says, would sue if something really bad, outrageous was done by a physician. Mm -hmm. But it is not uh, really a big point of concern down there. And consent is obtained, but again, it's obtained in a way when it's more uh, kind of positive. Like, yes, you have a hole in your stomach. We need to do surgery because it's going to save your life. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're going to die. It's like yeah. you're going to save your life. You yeah. know, like it might save your life. It would help you to survive. So yes. it's in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. We've done that. Thank you. That was That was why. We have this whole series due to that question. So, <laughs> so how long do you think it took you to sort of change your mindset? You've obviously been changing over the years that you've been here because you've been exposed to American medicine. When did you feel comfortable in the system? Well, I feel when, when did you when did you realize you were an American doctor and no longer an Uzbeki doctor? <laughs> I think I'm both. You know, uh, I became comfortable with this, especially this part about directly telling to patients quite quickly, actually, because I always thought, um, I didn't like uh, that we cannot tell to patients directly. I felt that it is a person's right to know the truth. Yes, but, but you're speaking like directly meaning doctor speaking to actual patient, not speaking yes. through a third party, not yes. necessarily... Hi, sorry, you've only got about 5% chance of living, right? That's not yeah. what you meant by direct. No, no. Okay. But I mean, like telling to patient, not through family member, but directly right. to patient. I thought patient has a right to know, especially if patient asking you directly a specific question and you cannot answer this question. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I always thought that it better, that honest approach is better. So it didn't take too long to learn, maybe like first couple of months. But... Was there a difference in where you practiced in, in the safeguards that are put in place for what is considered the, the normal modus operandi? Yeah, a couple of things different in terms of in Uzbekistan, there is a lot of care to prevent infections so mm -hmm. for example uh in order to get like infectious this is hospital is a separate hospital it's mm -hmm. not a room on the same floor with non-infection people like somebody was but that's mind you that is few years you know a few decades ago it would have been the yes. same thing here just like you had a separate tb hospital because you had enough people with tb to justify a separate hospital <laughs> Okay, so how was residency for you? How did what did you what what did you find challenging about the way? Were your hours very different from when you were training abroad? Well, um, back home we have a little bit more autonomy 
uh-huh. a little bit earlier, but not not much different really. Okay. And the hours that you were working, because here, I mean, everybody complains about how hard they work, doesn't matter which century they're from. When I was training, there were no hour caps. They came in right after I finished training. So by the time you came along, it's supposed to be 80 hours a week in most states. How 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 did that compare to what you were doing in Uzbekistan when you were in training? Um, in Uzbekistan, there are no specific rules about hours. So when you finished your internal medicine degree, when you finished your internal medicine residency and you took your exams, presumably, <laughs> did you want to train any further or were you anxious to get back to patients? Well, by the time when I finished residency, my daughter was five mm. and I really wanted to be done with training at this point. <laughs> I'd like an income, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, so, I felt it's enough training. So <laughs> plus, um, I was really in my home country there is no such profession as hospitalist. It's mm-hmm. internal medicine, but not hospitalist. So but here when I started working as a hospitalist, I really liked it and mm-hmm. it's interesting and diverse. Was it's, it was it initially uh oh well, let me do this while I figure out what I want to do? And then you decided just you just said, oh, I like this this pattern of work. Yeah. I think what people really enjoy is being able to block your time. So you know when you're free or really free. Yeah. I like it at Link Residency. Initially, when I started residency, my intention was that I'm gonna do fellowship in cardiology afterwards because mm-hmm. I really liked cardiology, but at the time, because my daughter was was two years old, I started residency and I was spending so much time away from her. My priorities changed. Was she not in, she wasn't in Nevada. She was back in California? In Nevada, no. She oh, was she was in Nevada. So you just weren't seeing her because you were working a lot of days. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, I was hardly ever seeing her. I was coming late and uh, she was little. So I felt that my main priority right now to raise mm. my child and I don't want any additional training at this time. Fair enough. So how old is she now? She's 21. Okay. And she's in college or is she done? Is she almost done with college, yes. <laughs> is she going down mum's career path or she decided to do something completely different? No, she is studying psychology and sociology. Excellent. And it's her. She really good at it. She likes it. Good. So you really enjoy your, your hospitalist work? you're completely satisfied with it and and this is a rhetorical question because I know the answer but do you do anything else as well you did allude to being a physician coach earlier on do you spend a lot of time doing that I actually do a lot of things in addition to it hospitalist work is wonderful but I had a lot of free time in between I have like I work on average several days off several days on Mm -hmm. so on my days off I do a lot of other things and over the years, I was really interested in self-development and in various books, courses, and various ways how to help people to feel better, how to help people to move forward towards what they want to achieve. And I noticed that people frequently come to me for advice and for some guidance. And 
and grateful. So mm-hmm. eventually I decided to get more training. So I had additional training, became certified life coach and opened my business, life mm-hmm. coaching company. I help uh, I help many people, but most of my clients are women physicians who I help to feel better and to move forward in creating the life they wanted to create. It is very interesting. It is my passion, really. I have a lot of clients and I enjoy seeing how the life changes with my coaching. Good. How how long do they work with you on average? How long is a coaching it program? It varies. Some people have one session. Some people have four. Some people have eight. Some people have 12. Oh, so you're not necessarily moving them from A to B. You're helping them figure out where they want to be and just feel better. So if somebody could come to you for a session and then go away and enjoy their life for a bit. And they're saying, oh, I'm ready to do something else. We go to Tatiana, talk about that. So you can you can do it that way or you can have a, a fixed program. It actually it actually depends because uh depends what my client wants. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is 12 sessions because it takes longer and it's more a complex situation which requires more time. But sometimes it's something more simple, for example, gaining clarity. But well, that was what I was saying. You know, it's it's all very well to say if, if you know what you want, but just getting that clarity initially is hard. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, one session usually when people want to get clarity or want to solve one specific situation and to get a direction on this. In 12 sessions, it is when clients need more deep and more prolonged. Do you work one-on-one or do you have group sessions? At this time, I work only one-on-one, but mm-hmm. I plan to have groups in the future. What else have you been doing this year? Yes. I, this year, I also have some exciting news. I became a co-author in collaborative effort in two books. Oh, One two? Book, I didn't know yes. about the two. Okay. Yes, actually two. One book already had been published and actually quickly became bestseller in the first week in several categories. It is lifestyle medicine books called How Healers Heal. It is on okay. Amazon and it is very interesting. Links yes. will be in the show notes. And and the other thing that you've just done? This is only just published? Yes. Second book is about to be launched actually on October 17th. Mm-hmm. This book is also very interesting. It is a book about artificial intelligence in medicine. And in both books, it is a collaboration of many women physicians contributing their part. And uh, both books are on Amazon. I really would like to invite our listeners to check them out. (laughs) And I also have a podcast. It's called Voices of Women Physicians. And I interview women physicians who are leaders, innovators, experts in various fields in and outside of medicine. Mm -hmm. And they share their inspiring journeys and helpful practical tips from the area of, of expertise. So okay. information helpful, not just for physicians, but for everyone, because we cover so many areas. Good, all right. So you had parting words for everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a lot of fun and very interesting. <laughs> Podcast is on all podcasting platforms. Please listen. <laughs> that will be in the show notes. 
Did you did you have anything else you wanted to tell people? Did we miss out any big chunks of your life that you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I would like to tell people that it is so many interesting things, so many roads in life, and you can do so many things, no matter what country you are, and no matter mm -hmm. what uh, part of life you are. So mm -hmm. there's always something interesting, something to dream about. And in my coaching, I help people to bring their dreams into reality. So if you have some idea or some vague idea or just some feeling that you would like to bring some impact, you would like to do something interesting, something different, contact me. Sure session is free and I will help you with some ideas, some brainstorming, and I will help you to reach some areas and to get to some resources which can help you bring your dreams and ideas to reality. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'll see you online. Bye. So much the news. It was my pleasure. you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.